Chapter Twenty Four of Julia Reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Julia Reed by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Four, in which is a surprise and a blessing. One evening we were all in the parlor, Mr. and Mrs. Tyndall, Abby, and I. Mr. Sales had been spending the evening with us, but had just left. The spell being broken, I was in haste to get to my room, but Abby lingered and talked with Mrs. Tyndall about her worsted dog in an exasperatingly interested way. Mr. Tyndall was in a most unusual mood for him, silent and grave. He had not been with us during the evening, but had recently arrived, and since his entrance had spoken very few words, but had kept up a steady monotonous walk up and down the room. The walking seemed to disturb Mrs. Tyndall, for presently she said half playfully, half in earnest, Mr. Tyndall, what in the world has come over you, or overcome you, as our old woman who talked in meeting used to say? I never knew you to pace up and down the room in that solemn fashion before. At this question he paused half irresolutely for a moment, then went over to her with a determined air and spoke, in tones somewhat husky, Fanny, I have something I want to say to you. Well, she answered, still playfully, but with a sort of wondering tone, is that a fact so unusual and remarkable that it needs a preface? Don't go, girls, as Abby and I arose to depart. It isn't a private lecture, is it, Mr. Tyndall? Still speaking very merrily. His face was very pale, but he answered steadily, No, it is not private. No, Julia, no, Miss Reed, please remain. I trust I am not ashamed of what I am about to say. Fanny, I ought to have told you of it before, but I did not seem able to. These past weeks have been very eventful ones to me. You remember, perhaps, Miss Reed, that you asked me to go to the young men's prayer meeting two weeks ago last Tuesday night. Did you pray for me that evening? Yes, said Abby, all the evening. He turned to her with a bright smile lighting up his pale face as he said earnestly, For which I shall have reason to thank you through all eternity. Well, Fanny, it is a long story, the history of these two weeks. It has been a long two weeks to live, and to fight, he added, drawing a quick, hard breath, to fight with pride and unbelief and temptation in every fiendish form that can be imagined. But there has been a victory. I stood up in the meeting this evening and told the people of my determination to begin now to follow Christ, and as they tell me the right way to begin is to do the first duty that offers, I have promised my Savior that I would own him before you as a family to-night. Fanny, I want to have family worship. Had the marble statue in the niche behind him been suddenly gifted with life and voice, it doesn't seem to me that I could have been more astonished. I looked up at the pale, resolute face, with such a new feeling of respect welling up in my heart for him. What a wonderful thing it was, this new life born into the soul, changing all its springs, quickening all its impulses. Abby's face was absolutely radiant, but she did not speak. We both waited in silence and no little anxiety for what Mrs. Tyndall might be moved to say. How would she receive this news? Such was my opinion of her that it seemed almost impossible that she should care. Indeed, I expected to hear her gaily pronounce him a victim to overwrought nerves and propose a quiet night's rest and the benefit of her society. I had been fascinated with the new look on Mr. Tyndall's face, but now I turned suddenly to watch his wife. There was a little pink flush on either cheek, a strange light in her eyes, and a new tone to her voice, such at least as I had never heard her use before. She laid her hand with a caressing movement on her husband's arm, 
and said in a voice as low and sweet as a silver bell, Robert, I am very glad, with a marked tremulous emphasis on the very. Then immediately she became mistress of this new situation. Rising, she moved composedly across the room and wheeled forward the little table on which the elegant Bible always reposed in undisturbed peace, said in her usual tone, as she pushed an easy chair toward me, Take this chair, Julia, you look tired, then settled back among her cushions with an air of quiet waiting. Such was the peculiar effect of all this, that had a stranger come among us just then, I am sure he would have supposed that it was an ordinary everyday custom in this household to gather together for family worship. Her manner seemed to have a quieting effect on Mr. Tyndall. He took up the Bible with quiet, reverent hand, and read a few verses in a steady voice. Wonderful verses they were. I wondered if he had just chanced at that time to alight on them, or if they had met some of the great needs which he must have had during the two weeks of conflict. In any case, I thought they must be very wonderful verses to him. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Only a few verses, but how full they were of strength, of help, of promise. Over this one he paused, and finally read it again, with a ring of solemn triumph in his voice. When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Then he closed the Bible, and we all knelt to pray. I am sure we can none of us ever forget that prayer. It was very brief, very simple, but it had the sound of that ancient prayer in the record, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was a plain, solemn, unreserved consecration of himself, and all that he called his, to the service of God. There was still an unusual pallor on his face when we arose from our knees, but the prayer seemed to have changed him. There was an added dignity about his manner, as that of a man who had at last assumed his proper position in his family, priest of his own household. Mrs. Tyndall bade us good night with her usual graceful air of composure, and I was somewhat divided as to which ought to astonish me most, Mr. Tyndall or his wife. Just before he left the parlor he had come over to Abby, and, holding out his hand, said earnestly, I owe thanks to you, next to God, for the peace that I have to-night. Isn't it blessed, Julia? Isn't it glorious? Abby said with shining eyes and glowing cheeks, as the door closed after us in our own room. But, oh, Julia, to think that his wife could not have the joy of thinking that she led him to Jesus. I didn't know that you had ever said twenty words to him except at table, I answered, wondering to what he could have referred. I am not sure that I did say twenty. I had just a three minutes talk with him one evening. When Dr. Douglas and I were coming home from prayer meeting, he overtook us just at the corner, and Dr. Douglas left me in his care and went to make a professional call. I had been thinking about him all the evening, principally because I knew the doctor had him so constantly on his heart. I had been praying for him, and I simply told him so. He thinks I was the means of helping him, because his heart was just ready to be helped at that time, but I did nothing. It is Dr. Douglas who has just carried him on his heart for months. He is a grand man, Julia. But, oh, do you know I think I am foolish? I am sure Mrs. Tyndall's heart must be just as full of joy as it can bear, but I cannot help feeling that if I had a husband who was not a Christian, it would be such a regret to me that I was not the one chosen to introduce him to Jesus. Do you suppose she cares? I asked incredulously. Wasn't she equal to the occasion, though? 
if there should an earthquake swallow us up, house and all, don't you believe she would shake out her robes, after the first surprise was over, and wheel forward an easy chair for somebody? I declare I don't know whether instead of being sorry that her life has been such that he never could have got into the right road if he had followed her, she is not at this very moment telling him, in a private, confidential way, that he has made a goose of himself, and that it is nothing but an injudicious excitement. However, I did not feel all the gaiety of manner that I exhibited. In reality, my heart felt very sore. It seemed strange to me that a man like Mr. Tyndall, who a few days before was even almost a scoffer in a gentlemanly way, could to-night express such a sense of love and trust and nearness to his Saviour, while I, who for years had professed to love and trust him, felt so far away. It seemed almost unjust. I was glad for Mr. Tyndall, but bitterly sorry for myself. Looking back now, on my life at that time, I think one of the marked and never-to-be-forgotten lessons of that period was that a child of God cannot live for weeks and months in a whirl of daily excitement and eager chase after pleasure, neglecting her seasons of communion, or at best giving but a passing moment now and then to her Bible and her prayers, without bringing darkness on her own soul, a darkness that is sometimes long and exceedingly bitter to be borne. I know I shed bitter tears that night. When I knelt to pray, my prayer was only weeping. It seemed to me that I could not long endure this pain, yet I bore it quite alone. I said not a word to Abby. Beyond the few words wrung from me by Dr. Douglas, I had let no one suppose other than I was at rest and peace. On Thursday evening we all went to prayer meeting together. It had been Mrs. Tyndall's custom to attend the Thursday evening meeting when it did not rain, and she was not too tired, and did not consider it her duty to stay with her husband, but to have him accompany her was an entirely new experience. There was an unusually large attendance, and many glances of surprise were interchanged when Mr. Tyndall followed us down the aisle. The Tyndall pew joined the Simons pew on the other side, and Lycia sat in the corner next to Mrs. Tyndall. She had attended quite regularly for several weeks, but had evinced no other interest. While the first hymn was being sung, Mr. Sales sauntered in and took the seat back of us. His presence, too, was unusual, although he had been once or twice before. The early part of the meeting was one of great suffering to me. The weight of gloom that had rested on my heart for weeks had grown almost insupportable during the past two days. I had tried, I thought, in every way to lift the burden. I had studied Abby to see where lay the secret of her peace. I thought one of the marked features of her life was her constant work for the Master. She seemed always to have someone in mind to pray for, to speak a word to, as she had opportunity, but I had tried that and failed. I tried again. My desires seemed to cling to Frank Hooper. I spoke with her again and was repulsed more decidedly than before. I know now that I did not talk with her, I preached at her. I tried once or twice to pray for Mrs. Tyndall, but now I can see very plainly that I prayed for her as a creature immensely below myself in her Christian life, if she had any, and half despised her even while I prayed. On this particular evening my misery was at its height. I remember I bowed my head on the seat in front of me, and struggled to keep my tears under control. There seemed a peculiar solemnity about all the exercises. Those who prayed spoke as if they felt almost the invisible presence of the king. I noticed this, and it served to deepen my own sense of something as great as an ocean sweeping between us. 
Presently Dr. Mulford's voice and question arrested my attention. There was a happy ring to his voice, as of one whose pulses were thrilling with a new joy, as he asked, Will our brother Tyndall pray? There was a sudden rustling of heads, that peculiar murmur of sound that flows over an astonished congregation, and then that equally peculiar silence settling over them as the new voice filled the house with prayer. What Mrs. Tyndall felt during that prayer only God and she knew, but it seemed to me that my own heart would break. There was such a sense of security in his words, such a realization of the presence of his Savior. I longed for it so. I cried out after it, but could not find it. What passed after that prayer I do not know. There was some talking in another prayer, but I don't know what was said. I was struggling with my own heart. But I heard Dr. Mulford when he spoke again. There may be those present tonight, Christians by profession, who know little in their own hearts of that peace of which our brother Tyndall spoke, and which God in his mercy has so recently given him. They may be conscious of having lived very far away, unworthy lives. They may be saying at this moment, Oh, for a closer walk with God. Perhaps such an one would like us to pray for him or her, would like to say that our prayers are asked, that there may be a renewal of covenant vows, a reconsecration of heart to the Lord. If there be such person or persons present, will they not manifest their desire by rising? Could Dr. Mulford have expressed my feelings better if he had known the entire workings of my heart? I did want them to pray for me. I needed their prayers. I felt my own utter sinfulness, felt it that evening as I never had before. And yet it seemed to me as if I could not say so, could not rise up before that assembly and proclaim my sins. I even reasoned over the evil effect it would have. There were Mr. Sales and Lycia Simons, and I didn't know how many others who believed me to be a Christian. They knew nothing about my miserable backsliding. What a comment it would be on the professions of church members if I noised it abroad in this way. Thus I reasoned, and the opportunity passed. Then again the bitterness of desolation rolled over me. While they were singing a hymn, I felt that I would give anything to have the chance now to rise. No matter about anything, or what anybody thought, if only they would pray for me. I was a poor, sinful, unhappy soul, and people must think what they would, so I could but get some help. My sincerity was to be tested. When the hymn closed, Dr. Mulford renewed the opportunity, saying he felt impressed that there were those present who were grieving the spirit by going contrary to their convictions of duty. There was a little rustle beside me. I glanced up, and Mrs. Tyndall was standing. Now nothing could amaze me more than this. It seemed so entirely unlike Mrs. Tyndall, her elegant, composed way of doing everything, her utter disgust at anything unfeminine. Yet there she stood, pale, grave, and with a sort of beseeching earnestness in her face. It took but a second of time in which to think all these thoughts. The next I stood beside her. I don't clearly know about the rest of this portion of the meeting. There were others who arose, and then there were prayers offered, earnest, pleading ones. I recognized Dr. Douglas's voice, and the prayer he offered was such an one as I had never heard before. I read when I was a child the story of Bunyan's Pilgrim. I remember at the time being greatly impressed with the scene wherein his pack dropped off and left him free. I thought of it that evening. I felt that I could realize something of Christian's feeling. The burden was gone. A sinner I felt myself. Oh, I knew that more fully, more plainly than I had ever known it in my life before. But I was a sinner forgiven, 
my Savior held my hand. End of chapter 24 Recording by Tricia G.